The Joe Beaver Show is on the air. 22. What do you mean? 22. After all the uncertainties of the past two years, there's been an expectation and a hope for a more normal 2223. But now the question is Do you know where you're going to? USC and UCLA do. They're both Big Ten schools. Yeah. But where does that leave the rest of us? Who could possibly answer that question in this strange new era of analytics? Transfers. How did it get here? Well, it looks to me like you portaled it. A what? You know, portal from wherever you were to here. What's that? It's a, a different kind of portal. It's just changed so radically, and we're all running to catch up. And realignments. They both big ten schools. Yeah. All we do know is the boys are back. And the Joe Beaver Show plots its own course. Now, there are a few more topics that we have to cover. And we will not talk about transfers, and we will not talk about my mother. We will talk about what I want to talk about. Fair enough. Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Joe Beaver is on 1240 Joe Radio. It's a busy day today. Yesterday, we talked about the games over the weekend games must we yes we must and yeah. we must continue to talk about them the the games over the weekend would carry the week and i still think they will and and they will in terms of our conversations one of them today particularly about some of the games andy peterson the head coach of lynn benton community college whose team won the nwac last year whose team is playing SWAC this weekend. It'll be Dick McLean Field Dedication Day at Lynn Benton Community College. Petey, a former Beaver, great two-time Pac-12 champion with the Beavs, second baseman extraordinaire, bunter extraordinaire, teaches the short game, the fundamentals of the game. I was told, and Petey himself may confirm this, that he had wrapped up his weekend, I think a four-game sweep of Clackamas. I'll have to double-check on the record, but... The team's playing well, rounding into form here late, getting ready for the postseason with a good shot at hosting. or try. They've got a good look at, at defending uh, their league title and perhaps defending and winning the NWAC again. They've that's got great. a guy in the club that's going to be coming over to the Beavers next year. We'll talk to Andy about all of that. But he was finishing up his weekend, and he, somebody told me that he turned – Sunday's game on, on the radio, on the electric radio, on 1240 Joe radio. <laughs> and it was still a fifth or sixth inning, Bazana homers to make it 7-3. Seven, three, seven, and he three, says, yeah. I got to go. He, got, he just drove over and showed up and watched the end of the game nice. from behind the Beavers dugout. He was that drawn in as a former Beaver and, and certainly a huge fan of everything Oregon State did. Well, all the action happened after Yeah, that. and so he saw it all. But we'll talk to him about the place of bunting and running and all of the things uh, from his perspective as a head coach at Lynn Benton Community College and the great honor that is being accorded to Dick McLean and so well-deserved this Saturday. I think Dick's about 84, 85 now, the field being named in his honor. Dick McLean Field, Rich Price, Steve Carruthers, I'm sure Dan Siegel and others have all been involved in the effort to make this happen. Dave Dangler other former players, 
and one of his former players, not at LB, but certainly one of the great friends to all of us in baseball, in sports, in this community for a long, long time. And it's been a while since we visited with our guest who's coming up here in a few minutes. We'll have a number of things to talk to him about, not just Dick McLean, but that'll be our focal point. We've reached out to Harold Reynolds about Dick McLean, whom he played for, was inspired by playing American Legion baseball for Richie's Market Men in the mid-'70s, went to the World Series with Dick in Dick's first year as the coach of the Market Men. I think Dick is still the only coach, I believe, his 1969 Madison team won the American Legion World Series. The American Legion World Series and the only team from the state of Oregon ever to do it. Dick McLean coached that Madison team to the championship in 69. The market men finished third in 78 with Harold. Jimmy Wilson joined the club, and Jimmy and Harold were teammates in 79. An incident kind of between Jimmy and Harold, not not a clubhouse incident, a bad clubhouse guy, Charles Barkley, bad clubhouse guy, according to Air in the movie last night. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyhow. Now, I saw air last night. We may have Jeff Manning from the Oregonian who did a deep dive into the accuracies and inaccuracies and you like of it. the film. I like the movie a lot. It's we all very did. It was very entertaining, well acted, well written, well done. Perhaps a bit of work of fiction, but <laughs> in many respects, yeah. but still a compelling story, well fun. told, well acted, and fun to have kind of the state of Oregon, the city of Portland, the Pacific Northwest, and all the of Saint, that involved. Saint, was it St. John's Bridge? Yeah, you see some bridges. You yeah. see, you, you, yeah, he does cross the St. John's Bridge at Going one point, home. right? And so Matt Damon does, and there's some other, a quick couple of shots of the downtown skyline, and mm-hmm. you see the Broadway Bridge in the background and some other things. So, yeah, I like that Jeff Manning made, will join us tomorrow to talk a little bit about that. But today, Harold Reynolds up here in a few minutes to honor, pay tribute to his great American Legion coach, I also have reached out to Dave Dangler, who was the pitching coach. Jim Wilson said that Coach Dick McLean and Dave Dangler were great coaches that inspired him, that it was just a tremendous staff. Dave is still working, still a Northwest scout for the Detroit Tigers. And uh, I want to talk to him a little bit about his relationship with Dick, clearly, I think that I'm hoping Dave can join us tomorrow. We're working on that. Dick McLean himself may drop by Friday at our road show with Steve Carruthers and a couple of other friends of Lynn Benton Community College Baseball. Our road show, Weatherford Thompson, Cogill Black and Schultz, I say for old time's sake. But yeah. We'll be at Weatherford Thompson this uh, Friday between 11 and 1. We'll have tickets to give away to to the Beaver baseball games that weekend. Gift cards from local downtown Albany merchants, three game packs of bowling from Highland Bowl, a free lunch, pizza, cookies, beverages, the whole shebang that we always get from our friends uh, Mike Cogill and uh, the our hosts at Weatherford Thompson Attorneys at Law, 130 West Avenue in downtown Albany. That's Friday. We hope Dick McLean is able to join us himself, maybe Rich Price and others between 11 and 1. But Harold Reynolds is up next. We're going to take a break now. I want to talk to Harold about Dick McLean, but he also did a feature recently on Adley as a switch hitter, Harold himself as a switch hitter. So while the upshot will be on uh, Dick McLean and the focus on our conversation, we'll certainly touch 
base with Harold on Adley and others and new rules, et cetera, with the great Harold Reynolds next. Gabe Winkler still to come and Andy Peterson today. It's a big show with Harold Reynolds next. 1240 Joe Radio. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation change? Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. When we work together, we'll focus on what's important to you. We'll use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And we'll partner to help your strategy stay on track. Contact me today, 5 Edward Jones, member SIPC. Stargazer Premier Florist in Corvallis knows that flowers are a beautiful way to make mothers feel loved and appreciated. And they want to help deliver them the best arrangement possible. Choose from Stargazer's wide selection of Mother's Day flower arrangements, plants, and baskets, and they'll deliver a beautiful, unique gift right on time to the mothers in your life. Stop in, call, or review Stargazer's selection of Mother's Day arrangements online at StargazersPremierFlorist.com. Stargazers Premier Florist, located at 925 Northwest Circle Boulevard in Corvallis. Where can you get amazing food, unique Pacific Northwest craft beer, wine, cider, and family entertainment? At Tolman Brewing in Lebanon. Don't miss live music from James F. Wright on May 5th and Hidden Gem on May 6th. Check the events page at tolmanbrewing.com for events including Tuesday night tacos and trivia. Open Tuesday through Sunday at 11 a.m. on the corner of Airport Road and Primrose Street right off Main in Lebanon. The landing at Tolman Brewing, same great place, same great food and beverages. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Parker. We recently had the need to replace some major appliances, and I'm delighted to report that we called Brandon and his team at Kellenberger Appliance in Lebanon. We couldn't be happier with our experience. They answered all of our questions, put us in the best deal, and promptly delivered and installed a new washer and dryer. When you are in need of an appliance, I strongly encourage you to call Kellenberger Appliance. Visit kellenbergers.com or stop by Kellenberger Appliance at 21 North Main Street in Lebanon. A big thank you from the Parkers to Kellenberger Appliance. We set them up, you knock them down. Tired of staying home? Are you ready to get out and enjoy an activity that is safe and fun? Join us Summer League at Highland Bowl. Check out their league schedule at highlandbowl.com and find a day and time that's just right for you and your friends. Don't be left in the gutter. Join us Summer League at Highland Bowl today. Highland Bowl, North 9th Street in Corvallis. We set them up, you knock them down. The Joe Beaver Show continues. Mike Parker with John Warren and a pleasure to welcome and we're so blessed to have and grateful to have a friend to all of us out here you know, from the, the the status that he occupies uh, in Major League Baseball and to be a friend to us and working for the MLB Network. But whenever it comes to honoring local uh, heroes and stories, Harold Reynolds has always been kind enough to take time to, to share his thoughts. And in this case, Harold, thanks for joining us today. Dick McLean is having the field at Lynn Benton Community College named in his honor at a ceremony Saturday afternoon. And while you're doing features on all of the major league ball players and had such a great career yourself, I, I have a feeling that when you hear his name, it reminds you of everything good about your life here and a great man and coach in Dick McLean. Oh, uh, man, yeah, that's why I'm calling you so quickly. You just reached out to me a couple hours ago, yep. but, you know, for Coach, I'll, I'll do anything to uh, 
to honor him and just uh, pay respects and appreciation. And I think that's, you know, really what a lot of this is about anyway with most, with even at Lynn Benton. Uh, what he's done in the state of Oregon, not only in, in the Valley, but just in the whole state. When he's up in Portland, coaching up there, and then coming down and the impact he had in our area, in the Lambert Valley there. Just, uh, you know, a powerful and impactful man on a lot of lives. Jim told me, Harold, Jimmy Wilson, who I, who I spoke with earlier, he said it was Coach McLean who first said, Jimmy, you could play pro ball and maybe all the way to the top, you can do this. That and Jim said that inspired him. That helped him. What what kind of effect did he have on you? Oh, same exact thing. You know, he was a guy that, uh, you know, we were real blessed. We had Jack Riley around all the time because of Mickey. Uh, and then you get Dick McClain and uh, just the people that we were around. And, and they were always forward thinking and encouraging you. And, and uh, Dick was a guy who really just made you realize you could win. That we were going to go to the to the American Legion World Series. You know, we had always won in Corvallis at the high school and state level and stuff like that, but we didn't think nationally. And when he took over the American Legion program, uh, Lonnie Keeter was another guy that had a great impact on us. But <clears throat> Dick had been to the college, to the Legion World Series, and I remember the first day he met us, he goes, we're going to the Legion World Series. And he started making us think about going to the Legion World Series. What's this? this guy's nuts. <laughs> And uh, he really just took that mindset of being a champion to a whole nother level. And I think he opened that for all of us to think beyond where we're at, beyond or even circumstances or thoughts, but to really think big time and, and, and think big. And, and that was really an impact he had on, on me and some of the other guys. Hmm. Harold Reynolds joining us. So, Harold, if, if Jimmy said he wasn't thinking a whole lot about pro ball until – you know, Dick kind of gave him that that idea. Where were you with all of that? Did you imagine yourself growing up playing all the pickup games you did with Jimmy in the neighborhoods in Corvallis? Were you thinking about being a Major League Baseball player? That or NBA or NFL or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking big about that yeah. stuff. Um, there was a scout named Larry Diamato uh, from Portland area. He scouts for Cincinnati Reds. And I was 13 years old. And I was playing what we call State League now, which would be uh, the level below American Legion. So probably uh, Babe Ruth, Connie Mack um, in Oregon. I don't know what, probably high school travel, that, that, that mm-hmm. level. And uh, so he came up to me at the end of a game and he stuck his head in the dugout and said, Hey, uh, Larry Diamato, Cincinnati Reds. And I was like, What? <laughs> he had me his business card. He said, I think you got a chance to be a pro ball player someday, kid. Mm-hmm. And Larry stayed in touch with me from that moment. I just spoke to him a week ago. Wow. This man has been in my life 40, 50 years. And he has, he would send me every Christmas a Christmas card. And I would have to say that was the first person that really went, boom, you got a chance to play in the big leagues. That's a great story. On that note, Harold, I want to get your thought. I want to get back to Coach McLean and a couple of other things in a moment. But I read an article from 30 years ago, George Will's book, Men at Work, in which he, he said all the pro scouts people and pro organizations were saying, we'd love to sign a kid out of high school. We, we can serve 
a young man better in his development, playing 140, 150 games in the minor leagues than the short season in college. Our games have more situations. They play more games. They learn more situations. Maybe high-level college programs, the really intense ones, can help a player's development, but we'd like to get a kid early. That's 30 years ago. Do you think that still holds true from pro organizations? Would they like to get them going right away? Are the college games seen at a better level now than 30 years ago? Well, I, I, I think it holds true for some organizations. I think overall for Major League Baseball, they're leaning a lot more towards colleges. And the biggest change I, I see is the analytics. You know, the colleges have the analytics. Colleges have exit velocity, spin rate, all the data that teams are judging by. Um, and then you have the instructors today that are more college and analytics-driven. Um, when I was coming through, uh, clearly the pro game was way ahead of the college mm-hmm. game, uh, just because of the instructional standpoint. I mean, I got Willie Mays teaching me how to catch fly balls. <laughs> you know, those are the type of things that that happen in minor league baseball. Those players are not there as much anymore. Now it's more of a professor, really, to be honest with you, um, telling you about your launch angle and things like that. So. I think they've, they've really taken the game to a whole different level. Um, and some organizations are at that point, but most are. And so the college level, uh, if you see it, yeah, even at Oregon State, you know, Mitch Cannon's there. You've got uh, all the guys he played with play ball. And you see a lot of guys migrate now to the college level to have impact, whether it's USC, whether it's uh, at Oregon, whether it's at, at Texas, you know, I can go on and on and on, maybe different schools, but a lot of former pro ball players are now coaching college. And that wasn't always the case before. And now I think that's, that's where it's at. So um, I see the argument. Um, financially, I, I think you're better off coming out of high school than you are college because you're going to get to the big leagues quicker and your earning curve is going to be a lot higher than necessary a college player. Um, you've taken Adley Rutschman, for example, had a tremendous career in, in college, and he's off to a great start. He's already 25 years old. Right. You know, where Bryce Harper was getting $300 million when he was 26. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's mm-hmm. not going to happen for Adley for a while if he ever gets to that threshold, just by the way the system's set up. We're glad he came to Oregon State, Harold. <laughs> you understand? Uh, yeah. Hey, look, Adley, I said it last year, and people just didn't, they didn't get it. Because there's so much more about him than oh he, he he can hit a ball he makes great throws and, you know it, there's so much more about him the character the way he carries himself but also there's a fight about him there's a drive about him that separates him and so last year when he got called up I'll never forget I'll bring the clip back and I said you're looking at next year's All Star catcher and they're like oh whoa 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 come on I'm, like, I'm telling you you mean All Star next year well he's on track right now. As then his name is in there with Riamuto and the best catchers in baseball, and deservedly so because he's that type of player. Harold, you did a feature on him as a switch hitter recently, did you not? I, I didn't see it. Somebody told me about it. You a switch hitter yourself. How do you see Adley as a switch hitter from both sides of the plate? How do you break him down uh, from either side? You know, it's funny. Um, he's a natural right-hand hitter like most switch hitters are. And I think his right-handed swing has gotten better since he left college. 
And that is the difference with reps. You know, um, being able to play as many games as you do in the minor leagues or every day swinging the bat, you're going to get more reps. And usually what happens with a, a natural right-handed switch hitter, you work so much on the left side that you don't, you, you, you negate your right side because you know you're going to hit. And you don't get as much work because you just don't have the time. Uh, when you get into pro ball, that's able to reverse. I'm seeing that with Adley. Um, but there's no weaknesses right now. He's, he's putting the ball in play. He's shooting it all over the diamond. He's got great power, showing patience. And he's on a good club. I mean, it's no, it's no coincidence that the, the Orioles are a really good team since he showed up. Um, and he's got some other young players that are coming with him. And I always felt like if you have a collection of guys that bond and know how to win together, you get great things. And, you know, we talk a lot about the core four of the Yankees. Those guys all came together. And they came up together. They played together. They Harold, we lost you there for a second. I'm not sure what happened. We missed the last part of the answer. You talked about a core four of the Yankees, and then you drifted on us. Are you? What were you? Did the Orioles? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We lost you for a second they were there. So good. Too, no, man. I know. I, it, we, we, I know. I don't know if you can get it back. Go ahead. Try again, though. The core four of the Yankees. How does that relate to what you were saying about the Orioles? Well, I was saying when you have a group of young guys that come together and they've learned how to play together, win together through the minor leagues, and they come up you transform an organization. And that's what you're seeing with Adley and a group of the young guys that, that came with him and are coming right now. They're changing the direction of the, of the Baltimore Orioles. And you see it in, in, uh, in the, with the Blue Jays right now. They've got about four or five guys came through the minor leagues together and Bichette, and Guerrero, and BGO, and that whole group of guys that are really changing the, the Toronto Blue Jays. So, that works, and I think Adley's doing that with his group in Baltimore. Hmm. That was kind of it. Yeah, gotcha. It was, it was way stronger the oh, first time. Mike. I know. I, I know. We'll see if we can retrieve it somewhere. Right. In the, yeah, we'll see if we can retrieve it somewhere. A few more minutes with Harold Reynolds, kind enough to join us on the Joe Beaver show. I, I have a question, jo- uh, Harold. This is John. G- getting back to Dick McLean and, and your your time with him, what, what, what is most important at that p- part of your life in baseball? And obviously, he gave that to you. And what is that? Was it just kindness? Was it uh, enough discipline? Was it uh, just what? What did he really do that is so special about him at that age of your in that point in your life? He untapped um, a fire that was down inside of, of. I know for me, and I'm sure I'm speaking for Steve Benz and John Pennon and and Jim Wilson and all the other guys, and I, I don't want to leave anybody's name out, but that's what he did. He, he, he made you love baseball. And, you know, when you grew up in Corvallis and the times that we were in, we played football, we played basketball, we played baseball, and we won all the time. And football was like king, right? And what he did is he took baseball to another level of, of wow, this is, this is special. And he made you want to come every day. And it got to the point where we would throw BP and have practice before he even showed up because he had already put that excitement into being at the ballpark. So I think looking back, that was the biggest thing he did. The second thing he did, he had a rubber arm, man. He threw all day long, all day the guy. 
and he would challenge you, and he would. He, he, there was just a way about it. He was not a lot of coaches in that generation. You could yell at people, and you could grab your face and ask for football and all that. He he wasn't that guy. He just pushed it with challenging you, like you, you're better than that. I know you can be better. You know, it was almost uh, almost like Tommy Lasorda in a sense, but uh, without all the vulgarity. Tommy can throw <laughs> some words at you, but Dick didn't use all the all the all the cuss words. But he he motivated you with the best of it. Harold, did you talked about Willie May showing you how to you know catch fly balls in center field? You played center field for the market men. Did for Dick? Maybe did he convert you to shortstop or what? Yeah, I played center for uh, Dick a little bit and uh, and some shortstop. I was going to play short my my senior summer and I actually broke my collarbone, so I missed that last uh, summer with Dick and the guys. But uh, before that, we were just so deep with different players. I played a lot of the outfield, mm-hmm. um, which was was fine with me. But he made sure I got ground balls and things like that. Um, but no, Dick. Uh, Dick was a great. He was a great visionary. He could see things. He could make it happen. And, and the other thing, he 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 knew all the scouts. He knew all the college coaches. He knew everybody in the area. And he was like the Pied Piper, man. You walk in and you see him standing over there talking to some guy with a cigar. You're like, oh man, coach is talking to the Philly scout, you know. And he just he he was big time, and he took that. Big time persona and brought it into Corvallis and just took us to another level. Yeah, that was really cool. And Jimmy said he he felt like I mean he he coached you up like you're you're playing pro ball. I mean there was a professional yeah. feel to it. Did you sense that too? No doubt about it. The way we practiced, the way we took ground balls, the way we had um, everything was organized and was ordered. The way we traveled when we got out of the bus, it was like, uh-oh, here comes Corvallis. You know, that, that we had a way about us that was all about pros. And he had, the other thing he did is he got a bunch of young men who were very talented to dream bigger than we are, or we were at the time, I should say. And he, he did it by saying, you see this guy right here, Rick Russell? Oh, yeah, I, I, Rick White, I coached him. You see this guy right here? I coached him. Mm-hmm. I had this guy. He went on, on, on. Del Murphy? Oh, yeah. What do you say about Del Murphy? <laughs> I mean, he knew everybody that was a player that had come through, right? And he had a story for it. He made you go, you're better than that guy. You can do this. Mm-hmm. I saw him play. You're more advanced than him. Jimmy, you got more power than Del Murphy did at this age. You know, yeah. and that was what Dick would do. He'd put it in the context for you and make you feel like, wow, it's amazing. Yeah, that's beautiful stuff. Harold, we'll turn you loose here in a minute. Really appreciate your time. Uh, uh, Her- uh, Dick will be honored this Saturday at a ceremony with Dick McLean Field in his honor and the impact that he's had. And you've touched on it so beautifully. the the last uh, The last thing, and and that is just I. You who led the American League in stolen bases in 1987. Sometimes I talk to old ball players. I wish I would have had a three-point line when I played. How many <laughs> bags could you have gotten with the bigger bases? What do you make of that in the game and the other rule changes? Well, as the, I've been asked this a lot. And as the year, we're through a month now, and I'm watching the rules. When I was asked about the spring training, I was still trying to figure out, okay, how's this really going to work? Now that I'm seeing it, you know, I was humble back then. I was like, ah, probably 10 more or so. Mm-hmm. Now, 
running with a pitch clock and they can't throw over. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you right now, you would add 20 bags to your season easy. Mm-hmm. And Ricky Henderson, you know, at first he was saying he had a big article written and he said, I doubled my total. <laughs> I, I don't know about double, but Ricky's going to add 50 bases to this. Yeah. I mean, they can't throw over. They don't pick off. Mm-hmm. It's uh, To sit there and watch guys hop off the bag and time them, Oh my goodness! It's 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 crazy to watch, and they're taking advantage of it. The numbers are up, teams are running, but I think the new rules are making the game exciting again. They really are. We're we're we're, we're getting more action. A left-hander hits the ground ball; it's going through on the right side. Ball hit back at the pitcher; it's a base hit. Uh, it's just a better brand of baseball, and it's quicker. It's a better pace, and I think the rules are working. Uh, no doubt about it. Are the, are the, the loophole, I don't know if the Red Sox or others are doing it, I read about the Red Sox, the loophole, they found, okay, we'll just take the left fielder and put him where we used to have one of our infielders, and thus a shift is still in effect. Are other teams doing that? Will that loophole be closed? Should it? What do you think? Well, I think it will, and I think it should. Um, I hate to see our sport get to where we have to draw circles in the outfield to pin people down. Um <laughs> The whole purpose, really, of the rules, we watched 15 years of, of what the front offices have done to the game, and really the rules are in to put them in check and go, guys, we got to get back to, to baseball. And so I hope that – I saw a couple teams do that. I hope more do not do that. It's been a rare occasion, but I, I would like to see that just not be a, a, available and not allowed to happen. At this point in time, Harold, what's next in terms of what you're working on on the shows, the features coming up that we could look for? You did something on Jared Kelnick out here in the Northwest, which we appreciate. He's red hot. What else are you working on these days? Yeah, we're going to look today. Um, I'm on at 6 p.m. Eastern. Today, we're going to talk a lot about um, what we just touched on a little bit the, the new rules, the shift rule. Uh, as a left handed hitter, uh, walking to the plate and now knowing if I hit a ground ball through the right side, I got a chance of getting a hit mm-hmm. and how that's kind of changed everybody's approach. So um, we'll do that. You know, I was watching one night, Larnick, um, Quan, <laughs> Adley, uh, these guys went off all on the same day, um, leaving a couple other players out. It was pretty cool to see that all these Beavers were out doing their thing, man, and, and tearing it up. Maybe Conforto, so maybe Conforto too. He might have been in and that. Conforto <laughs> got he had some hits that day too. So yeah. yeah, it was all one day. It was like wow, really, really cool to see that representing uh, Oregon State and coming out of Corvallis. Well, that's so that part was, of that was pretty cool, and that closes everything we talked about. Dick McLean tapped in to, as you answered John into the possibilities and what you could do to untapping all of that. When I think, when you mention all those guys, Harold, and I think about what's happened, the possibilities at Oregon State, the Pat Casey, you know, Mitch Canham's carrying on. It's pretty, I, I don't know how that makes you feel as you do all your work nationally, but it makes us out here feel pretty good, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it brings great joy to me um, to have grown up in the warehouse across the street with Jack Riley and seeing the talent that Jack had and always trying to get those guys to cut through and not having that. These guys have a huge advantage now because the minute they go play, they're respected as a, as a higher-level school. And that's really, really cool to see how far that program's come, uh, to see Eugene where Don played at down there and Dave Roberts and to see Oregon where they're, they're getting up there too. 
it's just great to see it coming out of, out of that Northwest and, and particularly the state of Oregon. So, so I love that. And, and, uh, obviously, you know, growing up in Corvallis and spending so much time on that campus and just so many days of hitting and, mm-hmm. and ground balls. I'm so appreciative of being able to have access to the university that I always hold a dear place in my heart because that's really my second home was being on the campus at Oregon State. So, so that was special. And I want to end it with this, um, with Dick McClain. You know, growing up in a single-parent home, my mother raising all eight of us, um, we had great father figures and our coaches. And Dick, uh, Dick took me in like a son, man. I mean, it was like, it was really special being with him. And to see him getting the honor or something like this and other things that have come to, this way, and that's why I took up the phone and called immediately. Um, he's like my second father at times, you know. He would just uh, take me in, take me have, have meals, sit down, talk with me. So I know Jim Wilson and the other guys really had a special bond with him, but I just feel like uh, what he did for me um, went beyond with everybody else, and, and particularly being the only African-American player on our team. Um, I never faced a lot of racist stuff. It just didn't happen. And I'm sure stuff was going on. He didn't let me have it. He wouldn't let me let that come my way. He deflected a lot of things. And I do believe uh, because of the time I spent with him and him being able to talk to scouts and and people about me one-on-one, there's no doubt that that had an impact that that got me in the pro ball and got me where I'm at today. Beautifully said. I'm really appreciative of Dick and – the father figure he is to me. And to this day, you know, I saw him uh, in February at a banquet, so got a chance to see him then and give him a big hug, and I always tell him thank you when I see him. It's beautifully said, Harold. Thanks for making time for us. We always appreciate it, and we'll be watching you later. Thanks for taking time, as always, for us out here in uh, your your hometown. We appreciate it, Harold, and talk to you again down the road. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Harold Reynolds. Boy, what a tribute that is. Yeah, that was nice. I was thinking, Beautifully said. Is, is the recording going? Was it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Beautifully said. That should almost be played at the part yeah. of that. Yeah. Know, we cut a clip and play it, you know, put Harold's mug up. Uh, they don't have a video board, but I mean, that's the type of thing that yeah. the Dick McLean field on the scoreboard out in right field will be unveiled Saturday. What a great tribute. It, it's amazing. I, I, yeah. I am hopeful that we, that Dick himself will join Steve Carruthers and a few others, maybe Rich Price or, Friday at our aforementioned road show. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break. Any thoughts on that? Anything else you want to jump in with? 497-5356. 497-5356-1240. Joe Radio. The Peacock Bar and Grill is making eating out affordable with a 650 specials from 11 till 9 every day of the week. On Monday, it's a small sirloin steak dinner. Tuesday, any pub-sized burger on the menu. Wednesday, it's beef stroganoff. Thursday, it's spaghetti and meatballs. Friday is a French dip. Saturday, pulled pork sliders. And Sunday, it's penne mac and cheese. You can always call ahead and get it to go or have it delivered. The Peacock Bar and Grill, a local favorite since 1929 on 2nd Street, downtown Corvallis. 
He shifts Bucky Irving one to zero. They just did get the snap. Hi, right, this is James Rawls, defensive lineman of the Pac-12 number one defense, the Oregon State Beavers. Ongoing visits to rejuvenation for cryotherapy treatments has provided me with long-lasting muscle and joint recovery. Sharpens my mental focus and elevate the endurance needed for me to perform at the highest level on game days. Go to rejuvenationcorvallis.com to book your appointments today so you are always at your best. Go Beavs. He's going for it and the Beavers get home and sack him back at the 44. James Rawls. Leading off this inning for your tax and wealth management team is David Mendenhall. Batting second, Bill Heck. And batting third, Robert Berry. It's always important to have a talented lineup. The same is true if you need some advice on personal or business tax planning or just some help with financial strategy. With over 40 years in business, Tax and Wealth Management has the experience you need to hit that home run. Call or stop by Tax and Wealth Management in Corvallis, your hometown tax team, and start your journey on the road to success. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Parker. We recently had the need to replace some major appliances, and I'm delighted to report that we called Brandon and his team at Kellenberger Appliance in Lebanon. We couldn't be happier with our experience. They answered all of our questions, put us in the best deal, and promptly delivered and installed a new washer and dryer. When you are in need of an appliance, I strongly encourage you to call Kellenberger Appliance. Visit Kellenbergers.com or stop by Kellenberger Appliance at 21 North Main Street in Lebanon. A big thank you from the Parkers to Kellenberger Appliance. Wedding time means framing time. All those special pictures. Steve at the Frame Shop can even help you put together a collage. And while Al is stepping back, he'll still be on site. And Steve, with his 44 years of experience, will be gradually taken over. You won't even notice the difference. Other than Steve might be at the counter more often. They'll still help you find that perfect mat and frame to complement your pictures and decor. And you'll still find a great selection of ready-made frames, prints, and art supplies. The Frame House on West First in historic downtown Albany. Boy, that was fun. That was, uh, that well, was great stuff. You right know, I, we're going to have some other folks on with respect to paying tribute to the great Dick McClain, but when it comes to a national, nationally recognized baseball figure and yeah. a friend to all of us here in the state, right? You know, Harold, Harold's been on with us a number of times through sure. the years. We don't want to, you know, you don't want to, you know, I, it's not like I'm going to call him and say, hey, can you come on tomorrow now too and talk about Trevor Larnick swing? I mean, we're not going to do it that way. And you noticed how he said he he called you back quick because yes. it was about Dick No, McClain. exactly. And he he usually responds pretty quickly. Yeah. The last time I reached out to him, he said, I'm at the World Baseball Classic. Mike, I can't do it. We we're going to talk about Dick Fosbury that day. And now Harold, when he learned, he saw Foz doing the Fosbury flop. Mm. And after Dick passed, I remember Harold was greatly impacted by and was breaking furniture in his home trying to do the, the <laughs> Fosbury flop onto couches and stuff. And Harold was out trying to have the technique taught to him. Well, he, he mentioned he wanted to go pro in any sport. Yeah, he that, his childhood in Corvallis <laughs> was was one of the more, more idyllic ones based on how he and Mickey and Jim Jim Wilson and others have talked about all the pickup games, the organized games too, yeah, with yeah. the leagues. But just on a Saturday afternoon, we'll meet you at so and so, and we're the game's on. Well, in a, a small portion of that was what you, we experienced. You know, you and I just getting out there. We would we would play pickup baseball oh, forever. Even pick if up we didn't baseball, have enough guys. Football, basketball all day. And basketball is yeah. easy. Yeah, you go to a court, but right. baseball's little. You got to really like the sport and really be into yes, it. Yes, you do. And we played pick. If we weren't playing pickup baseball, we'd figure out a way to, uh, you know, play 
uh, wiffle ball. Yep. Turn our backyards into into oh, certain yeah. stadiums. Yeah. Uh, I even got my dad's light bar from the video camera or the movie camera that he had. One of those old '60s light bars. <laughs> yes. And stuck that in the window so we could have night games. Oh my gosh! The night ball. game league. Beautiful. <laughs> we had, we had a whole show on this a few years ago yeah. talking to people about the improvised games and so on. Yeah. But that was really enjoyable and grateful to Harold. But you could tell the heartfelt nature right. of what, and Dick McLean uh, will be honored Saturday and hope that many of you can get to the ceremonies. There's a barbecue and then a ceremony and the naming of Lynn Benton Community College's field in Dick's honor. Andy Peterson, the current head coach, will join us next hour. Gabe Winkler as well. We've got some open phone time now, 497-5356. And the text line, the University Honda text line, 497-5356. And you got a couple that looks like there. Johnny, what do you got? Well, Dean from Eugene wrote in uh, after listening to yesterday's podcast. He says, I'm listening to the podcast of the show uh, this morning, and you mentioned that you were trying to sort out in your mind all that happened in Sunday's amazing <laughs> Beaver baseball win. Absolutely. That was a whole show. That's exactly how I feel. He writes, the thing that I had to go over several times was how was Bazana intentionally walked in successive innings <laughs> to give Forrester the two chances. So much happened in those two innings. It was really fun to go through it all. I believe that this is a team of destiny and it will be so interesting to see if it plays how it plays out. Also, I'm ready to make a generous donation to the window fund for your press box. <laughs> Dean, that's probably what it's going to take, so it better be really generous. No, I'm joking. You, Thank you so much. But, yeah, the only way, the, the, it's a little bit, remember how I tried to get myself out of the ground-level press box at Civic and got out into yeah. the open air again, which is what I'm kind of looking for again now, many, many, many years later. The catbird seat. The catbird seat saved me. Because of a sponsor. Maybe there's a sponsor to the, to you know, we do have the McGrath family press box, but maybe the booth, the so-and-so booth <laughs> with the so-and-so window brought to you by, I mean, it, the only way it's going to happen is for somebody else, somebody to pay for it because it is costly. Are there people in that, on that platform that you broadcast from, are there people there during Beaver games? Not really. No, I, it's possible. That's one thing I l hope to look to do at some point. Mm -hmm. Not that, you know, again, these are minor points based on everything we're talking about here today. Yeah. Dick McLean, Harold Reynolds, uh, and the tributes that will be pouring in to, towards Dick. want to talk to Dave Dangler a little bit, too, who was an outstanding coach on those Legion teams with, uh, Dick and you know Dick went to the World Series in his first year in '78. Had a great team coming back in '79. The collarbone reference that Harold uh -huh. made. Yeah, that's a a bizarre incident that occurred when our own Jim Wilson swinging a I think swinging a weighted bat maybe or swinging a bat prior to a game or whatever. Harold happened to run by as Jimmy was following through with the swing. Boom onto the collarbone. Oh, weird, strange incident. Well, it was nice of him to leave Jimmy out of it. Yeah, and Jim himself, when, but I've, I've gotten it. Jim's told us the story before I've gotten the story from Jim, but yeah. because everything worked out, they both make it to the major leagues and were teammates with the Mariners, <laughs> you know, in the 1989 season, it all worked out. That's cool. But 10 years before, in 79, Jimmy with the 
follow oh, through on a practice wow. wing, hit Harold in the collarbone. That's How a, bizarre that's a story is that? right there. But we've got a few minutes left if you'd like to jump in. Uh, 497-5356. 497-5356. Is it David from the Great North? The Oracle of Tumwater. Okay. It is. Good. And and I I knew that the, the great thing about that conversation with Harold, mm-hmm. <laughs> we could talk about Dick McLean of NWAC, LB, mm-hmm. Madison High School, mm-hmm. two state championships at Madison High, the only coach to coach an American Legion World Series championship with the Madison team out of Portland in 1969. But the great thing with Harold is, He's going to talk up Adley and Trevor and Quanti and Conforto, mm-hmm. et cetera. Right. right. And all of that up Dave's alley, who joins us from Tumwater. Dave, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Speaking of idyllic childhoods in the lovely community of Corvallis, so among other things over the weekend, I had a follow-up conversation with Professor Lincoln's son. Mm-hmm. Paul, Paul called him Richard to me, he's merely dicky. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, he had further conversation with his younger brother, uh, who remembers distinctly Bernard Malamute coming over to the Ligon household. And Professor Ligon would always say, when uh, he'd, he'd see him, he'd greet him and say, Hey, Bern, <laughs> good to see you. <laughs> I got Bern, t- how you how that's, you doing? That's really anyway, cool. Mike, just a little tidbit, just to kind of fill yeah. out the picture. Apparently, uh, Malamute lived on Third Avenue in Corvallis, very close to the confluence of where the Mary's River flows into the Willamette. Now, you guys know local geography better than I do. I think I have a sense of that. That's where that kind of grapevine of roads, the uh, 99 West and 34, uh, all new relatively modern construction is. But that's where Bernard Malamud lived when he lived in Corvallis. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be worthy of remark. Maybe there should be a historic marker put up in that vicinity. But I just wanted to share that. But my main reason for calling, Mike, uh, and I'm still working on the larger project with uh, Professor Lincoln's uh, documentation. But my larger reason for calling, Mike, is a follow-up to the debate dispute the conversation about the last play on Sunday's game. Yes, yes. Here's my here's my question, Mike. And now you've studied the rule book farther longer and uh, and more detailed sense than I have. There are some plays in baseball, and I and you would know, and I think you'll quickly pick up the gist of this question, where it's important for the runner to cross home before the final out is recorded. Now why isn't that the case in this instance where clearly the runner from third, Macias, I think it was, scores Yes. well before any out could have been recorded at second base, even presuming Bazan, whether or not Bazana yes. got there, you might want to address that. Yes. So what plays does that, he scored before the out is recorded, when does that rule apply and when doesn't it? That's a, yeah. Why doesn't it apply in this situation? Yeah, that's a very good question, Dave. And and you, I thank you for for you even thinking that I might know the answer. To that. <laughs> that's kind of you. I don't. I don't know the exact detail on that, even though I've seen it all my life. But I I know that 
double play balls, all of those things, you know, bases loaded, one out, ground ball. You know, the runner from third may come down and score and hit the plate before the double play's finished, but the inning's over, right? We've seen that all our lives. So I'm not sure exactly the chapter and verse and how the textbook, you know, the, the textual rule reads in a situation like that. But for whatever the case, I know that Messiah scoring there ahead of a potential force play on Bazana to end the inning, the force play precludes the run scoring. The guy is out, the inning's over, we go to the 10th inning. Well, that, that, be that as it may, yeah. and, that may and, that, and, I, and I, the rule is what it is, yeah. but I'm just kind of, but I know I, I have distinct memory, Mike, of some situations in baseball that a, that a, that a run can score before the final out of an inning. Yes. It's recorded, but I just don't know what well, exact situation yeah, and why it would apply in some and not others. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the force play is what's at play here. For example, Dave, let's say runners at second and third uh, with you know, with one out. Runner at third tags on a fly ball. I'm just using this as an example. We can v- visualize this. Runners at second and third, one out. Fly ball to left. Runner at third tags. He comes in to score. The runner at second tags. So you have two outs now when the ball's caught. The runner at second tags and tries to advance to third. The throw comes to the third baseman who applies the tag and the runner's called out. Double play. Inning over. But the umpire, you'll often see, he'll point to the plate and say, safe, because the runner from third got home before the third out was recorded. So that's okay, different. I, that's not a force play. I think the force play precludes that kind of action so that in that case, the runner is safe, even though the third out occurs and he scored before the third out. But in the case of a force play, scoring before the out does not uh, preclude that. I mean, the out, the force play becomes the primary point of, of the play. I think I understand the logic of that distinction. Therefore, Mike, the reason the, the play was waved off Per Brooks Hatch. Yeah. <laughs> Got a funny story about Brooks uh, uh, that I can share. I, I came up to him one day. So I said, Brooks, I got good news and the bad news. He says, give me the bad news first. And I said, I'm in your role now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but per, uh, uh, per Brooks yesterday, it was waved off. It seems like, Mike, looking at it retrospectively, because so much time had transpired before the appeal was made. Is that kind of where we stand? With That's this? the sense I got. Yes. Yes. And and the and, and Brooks, who saw this more I the video, I watched the video yesterday, the tape. I recorded the game via the Pac twelve networks and finally yesterday was able to watch the final play and the callers and texters were accurate in saying that the camera shot peels off as Bazana's running towards second, you don't see the end of the action and the end of the play. And then the fixation on tight shots comes into play where all we're doing is seeing tight, 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 and none of the other action that's going on. And so the other action did, according to Brooks, have an Arizona defender with the ball on the bag claiming that they'd gotten an out. But maybe that occurred late enough so that when Brooks also said that Bill Van Rapport, the umpire, when that Arizona player stepped on the bag with the ball, Bill signaled safe. And that was sort of an end on the play 
Bill said, okay, yeah, I see you're appealing, and I know what you're appealing, safe. Now, I'm glad he said safe rather than, hey, we'll take a look at this, but maybe, maybe the number of players leaving the field, I think the rule book actually says, quote, if all the players leave the field, so I'm not so sure that that play Sunday met the letter of all because if you had two players making an appeal, then they hadn't left the field yet. So, uh, again, yeah, you know what I'm saying, Dave? I think the Beavers might have caught, caught a little bit of a break on that one. Yeah, I, th- I think it sounds like you might be right, Mike. And I, I did see the player standing on second base. He had the ball in his glove. His hands are way in the air. Yeah. I, I saw that. Uh, I did not see the umpire waving the play safe. So, thank goodness we got Brooks as a, right. as a witness. Should this ever go to court? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But anyway, well, thanks for taking my... Oh, one last yeah. thing. Today is the anniversary of Lou Gehrig's last consecutive... This consecutive game streak ended on this date in history. Yes, and I'm planning on mentioning it uh, tonight during the Beavers uh, game against Oregon. Uh, we'll be on the air at uh, 4.45 with a 5 o'clock pregame. But yeah, that that had crossed my uh, my plate this morning, so to speak, and I'll be talking a little bit more about... Do- Stephen Wagner and and all of that with respect to this. You know, in the film, it's one of those poignant moments in the Pride of the Yankees film. Remember when they have manager McCarthy turn when Lou comes back and says, Skip, I I just, you know, put somebody else in. I can't go today. And they show McCarthy turning around and saying, Dahlgren, Dahlgren, you're in. And then you hear over the PA, in for Lou Gehrig, babe Dahlgren. And everybody in the stands, there's this shock and hush. And that was on this date. Yes, you're right, in 1939. Yeah, very good. Well, I won't be at the game tonight, Mike, but I'll see you and okay. maybe John and others down there over the weekend series against Utah. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Dave. Did we take a quick one here on the fan? No, or, we're just out oh, in one minute. Oh, we're going straight up? Yeah. Did we do okay in we terms did. of commercial yeah, breaks and all that? We did. That's rare. Uh, we've got Gabe Winkler coming up at 12.05, shifting gears a little bit. We'll come back to some of this baseball stuff and plays and weird plays and strange plays and oddities and the quirkiness There's of it all. There's something new in every game. There, there really is. Isn't it something, John? And this game has been, this game's been around since 1839, according to, uh, and in some other forms, you know, earlier than that. But, mm-hmm. eh, you know, eh, eh, Alexander Joy Cartwright set the bases at 90 feet. What year? No, not that year. Maybe a little later, like 1846 or something. But, I mean, the game as we know, it's been played a long time, but it's incredible to me that from game to game, weekend to weekend, it feels as though there's always something where people say, I've never seen that before. Dwight Jane saying he'd never seen the intentionally walk the same guy two innings in a row to get to the next guy, and the next guy beat you both times. He'd never seen that in his life. Certainly you wouldn't go for him the second time. I saw there was a shot on the TV of poor Chip Hale just shaking his head, just shaking <laughs> his head. We got an hour to go. Okay, please. Here's the microphone. Is this thing on? This is KEJO Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID. 1240 Joe Radio. This is a Bloomberg Money Minute. J.P. Morgan Chase's takeover of First Republic Bank, not enough to ease investor worries about the strength of some other regional lenders and whether they too might need to be taken over or might even collapse. 
That's got shares of Los Angeles-based PacWest Bank down 26%. The shares of Phoenix-based Western Alliance Bank down 18%. And then you add in worries about the Federal Reserve expected to hike interest rates again tomorrow. And stocks are taking a beating. The Dow down more than 400 points, one and a quarter percent lower. So is the S&P 500. The Nasdaq down just over 1%. Not everything is lower, though. Shares of Uber up 11% after posting an earnings beat for last quarter, thanks to a blowout number of people booking rides and food deliveries. It's hard to say what took so long, but Match Group, which operates dating apps like Tinder and Hinge, is just now pulling out of Russia, citing concerns about human rights there. Tom Busby, Bloomberg Radio. Woodstock's Pizza on Kings Boulevard in Corvallis is all kinds of pizza for all kinds of people. See, it all starts with over 35 fresh toppings to choose from, multiple dough options, multiple crust options, and multiple cheese options, including vegan and dairy-free choices. See, we make all kinds of pizza for all kinds of people every day. Woodstock's Pizza, all kinds of pizza for all kinds of people on Kings Boulevard in Corvallis. For auto glass solutions, better call a glass man. Call 541-760-2277. Call the glass man. Hi, this is Jake the Glass Man. Let me fix the crack in your glass. For windshield repair, call me first. For auto glass solutions, better call a glass man. Call 541-760-2277. Call the glass man. Locally owned and operated for over 30 years, people in the Mid-Valley have been going to Corvallis Floor Covering. They thank their many friends and customers for your continued support and look forward to working with you on your next remodeling project. Browse through their large showroom with a beautiful selection of carpet, countertops, sheet vinyl, linoleum, tile, hard surface floors, and window coverings from all the popular brands. Corvallis Floor Covering, corner of 2nd and Van Buren downtown, or log on to CorvallisFloorCovering.com. Shop local, shop Corvallis Floor Covering, and Go Beavs! They're in position to try to go for it here, and they will, and it's an option, and Nix is tackled short of the first down! Hi, this is Ryan Cooper Jr., defensive back for Oregon State Beavers. We earned the leader of the pack by playing fast and playing together. You could be a leader by committing to damnation to help all Oregon State athletes prepare for their future. Go to damnnationcollective.com to give today. Be a leader of the pack together. Go Beavs! inside the 30 and it's Oregon State football at the Oregon 28. Hi, I'm Dennis Silvers, the golf guru with another golf minute to help you get out of tree trouble. We all know the importance of hitting fairways, but let's face it, nobody hits every fairway. That's why you need to know how to escape if you're in the trees. Usually the shot of choice is to hit something low, but many players have trouble hitting the ball low on purpose because they concentrate on getting the ball in the air. The secret to the shot is simply swing speed. You need to swing slow to keep spin off the ball so the trajectory stays low. Set up with the ball back of center in your stance, keeping your hands ahead of the ball. Then make about a 60% swing. Focus on your rhythm and balance and keeping your weight on your left side throughout the swing. And whatever you do, 
Finish with your hands low to help ensure a low ball flight. So remember, to get out of the trees, swing slow and keep your hands low to avoid the limbs. For the Golf Minute, I'm Dennis Silvers. Staples has everything to help small businesses do big things. Shipping supplies and services so you can fill big orders. The latest tech so you can create the next big thing. And now during Staples Small Business Deal Days, when rewards members spend $100 or more, they get 30 back in rewards to use on big things, little things, or anything they need. Plus, find new deals in-store every week on tech, office chairs, and shipping supplies. Because for small businesses, Staples knows savings are a big thing. Rewards offer ends 513, limit one, redeemable in-store only. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, offering professional-grade industrial supplies, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. of the Two Docs Broadcasting Network. There's no place like home. I suppose your name is Smith. Seven, eight, nine. Indeed, Niner Jonathan Smith has come home. As Jonathan returns, so does the Joe Beaver Show with the familiar names. His name is Mike. Mike Parker. You do know him, don't you? And... But John isn't Torment. John isn't Davos or the Red Woman or Stannis for that matter. John is John. And their familiar means of wailing guests. Get that fellow's number! Get his number! But it's one number Nine. that we rally around as we welcome you to the Joe Beaver Show on 1240 Joe Radio. Welcome back. Hour number two. We continue here with the Joe Beaver Show on 1240 Joe Radio. Fun first hour. Even more coming up as we have uh, Gabe Winkler, who's going to join us here right now on the show as we get our number two underway. And I, I chuckle, Coach, when we, we bring you in here to uh, our conversation today about Damn Proud Day. And both your program and the women's rowing program uh, I think did better than anybody. I'm like, wow, yes. that's amazing. Well, congratulations on that. Oh, that must be a real shot in the it was, arm. It was a great day. Um, it's just, it's a, I'd like to kind of shout out to all of our alums and all of the family and friends that contributed on that day. And the bar continually rises every single year with that. Um, you know, we have a, it, it, every year it seems like there's no way we could surpass last year, but then it's like, man, we raised, we raised on the one day, we raised $65,000 for our team. Wow. And that's uh, unbelievable. And that can help us fuel our program for the rest of the, with, with the, with the boats and the travel. Um, it, but it, what's fun with that day is the other teams, they're also rising up too. So you had uh, baseball and wrestling, had a great day too. Like last year, baseball 
would have been at the top of the list if they had the same numbers that they had this year, but it's just that the game is rising up, and it's fun to have a little bit of friendly competition in the athletic department. Coach Pendleton on the wrestling team is always kind of eyeing us, saying, we're going to get men drawing this year. <laughs> Watch out. But uh, it, I, it, watching the numbers over the day, kind of uh, seeing the, the numbers of donations come in and the number of donors come in, it's just kind of a fun fun day to be a part of. And it's it kind of makes me very proud to be part of this team. And it is kind of the team effort that shows with the, the rowing alums. You know, it's funny, Gabe. Coach Gabe Winkler, uh, Oregon State uh, men's rowing here, joining us in our number two on the Joe Beaver Show. Uh, recently, we had conversation. It came up, and we had some really good conversation about the book Boys in the Boat. And so I yeah. picked it up, so I'm about halfway through it. And in the beginning of the book, it explains how big the sport was back in the day, 30s, 40s, 50s, hundreds of yeah, thousands was, of people sh- the, showing up. like one of the biggest sports in the country at that time, uh, which people don't really realize. Uh, they had trains or like this mobile kind of stadium seats that would follow the race course. I don't know if you got to that point in the book yet where they would have a, a – essentially like seats that follow the entire race along the shores of these, the rivers and the, uh, the, the lakes that they race on There's a lot. There was money involved and for better or worse, I think it was the money that kind of led to its downfall. Well, not, I wouldn't say downfall or just the lack of popularity, mm. uh, cause of there's a lot of inside betting and stuff like that. That's the word on the street that, that like, made it fall out of favor with some people. But the boys in the boat is like a class. It's honestly, in a way, that is a little bit our model still. Like <laughs> we get guys that have never rode before and never even traveled anywhere before, and then they come on the team and they're some of the best guys, and that's kind of our basis for how we form our team too. Still, Gabe Winkler joining us. Gabe, Mike Parker with John Warren. Thanks for taking time. Over $65,000 on Damn Proud Day. John asked the question about the incredible popularity of the sport in a different time and era, and yet it, it sounds as though even if, if the attention a la boys in the boat isn't paid quite so much on these days, the base is, is energized, and your, your former rowers and fans, how do you do this? How do you go about it? And, and the generosity that's shown shows the sport still has tremendous resonance with people. Yeah, it's just I I believe it's the fact that they know they know how hard it is and they know it that it is a team sport that if it takes everybody and it's not and not an individual where in the boat you're moving as a unit with eight other people that you have to go together and it's kind of that metaphor that I think people just latch on to after they graduate and they just know it's it's not a glamour sport, so it does take a little bit of uh, help outside to get that to where you need to go. And it's also just a, a family or like, you know, uh, the past is always feeding into where we are now. And everybody is connected to that. Like we still row in the same place where they did. Well, honestly, the, you think about boys in the boat, Oregon State rowing started in 1929. And that's that's a long history in there. And they, they were in that era of the boys in the boat. And um, so there's so many alums that are still, 
grinding out and rowing at the master's level. And uh, it's a sport that you can do for the rest of your life. It's not, it's kind of like a swimming in a sense where the low impact where you can, it's not going to hurt your joints and you, you don't really see too many, dare I say, masters football teams out there. <laughs> right. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just something that you'll see 70, 80, 90 year olds competing. And it's, that's that, that love of the sport. It's, um, it's just kind of that, that's how it has fueled that, and proud day. Success. Gabe, how did you find it? When did you come to the sport? Oh, good question. It was kind of by accident in a way where I I went to college and I told my parents, like, I'm going to make some sports team. And I was going to, I tried out for the soccer team and I was going to run, potentially run cross country or track. And I tried out for the soccer team and I twisted my ankle like extremely badly. And then somebody said, hey, you should try rowing. And I thought, well, I still need to stay in shape for track, so I'll do this <laughs> rowing thing in the meantime. <laughs> so I got it there, and I kind of started beating all of the other people. And I just discovered that I was pretty good at it. And I, if you're good at something, you kind of enjoy it. And then the rest is history kind of thing to think about if I didn't twist my ankle and I wasn't able to kind of run and play the soccer, I might not have had this. I not, might not be where I am today without that little moment. Um, and so, yeah, I, I then eventually kind of got decent at it and uh, built my way all the way up to the national team. And that got me the qualifications to get out to Oregon state. Where were you then when you were, where, where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school and discover rowing kind of by accident, as you say? Well, I'm from Vermont. Um, there it's a, you think about it, Oregon, is the topography and the kind of people are very similar. They go through some tough weather. So I went, I'm from Vermont. And then I actually, went, I went to the university of Vermont for two years and that's where I, I told my parents that I was going to make some sports yeah. team. Division one athletics, and the, the soccer team there is actually really good, so it was, like, really hard to try out and make the team. Uh, after the tryouts, honestly, they told nobody that nobody, nobody's good enough to make the team. That was part of the reason why I tried rowing. So then after two years at UVM, I was good enough, and I had the qualifications to actually transfer over to Cornell, and that's actually everybody – Everybody kind of has this, this like, they, they know that the Ivy Leagues are kind of the, the, the basis of, of the rowing you know, out there, you know. So I actually was able to transfer from the University of Vermont to Cornell, and that definitely upped the game where I was on a much bigger team and a much better level of competition. So then I, that, from that, that was the stepping stone for me to get on the U.S. national team. Gabe Winkler. So, yeah, yeah, I went from Vermont to Cornell to out here. Oh, that's great stuff. Gabe Winkler, our guest. It's always fun to talk with you, Gabe. We've been doing this for a couple of years now because I learned so much. I promise you we'll get into your team and what you guys have been doing, what you're doing. I have one more question about the sport itself. Is it still or when did it lose this upper crust Ivy League snobbery, if you will? <laughs> 
that you dream of and um, you think about in Boys in the Boat where they're where, where they've got little sun umbrellas and all of that <laughs> to wherever it is still now. Is that there still is that. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I I kind of feed off of that in the fact that we're not that way. Um, meaning we can <laughs> we can do this just as well as those guys, and you're just as tough as anybody else. When did that? When? How is the perception changed honestly i believe there was the fact when uh women's rowing came into uh in a division one ncaa sport which is like 96 97 when that was uh ncaa kind of took that on board so that made more of the state schools become prominent in the rowing world like so the on the women's side like texas has won the last two three national championships and you don't really think of texas mm-hmm as a, a rowing mecca, but it's like, okay, now the, just the sense that it's an NCAA sport now, that that has fueled the fact that, oh, it's not just this elitist kind of schools that are dominating the, the, the course. So, but don't get me wrong, that's, they still exist and they're still extremely fast because on our side, Yale, uh, Cal has won the last two national, cha- the last two national championships, but Yale before that won the last three. Mm. So, you know, we're in, and we've talked about Washington and Cal, their heads above everybody. They're basically ranked, Cal's ranked number one, Washington is ranked number three, and Yale's right in the middle of them. And uh, so it's not like, you know, the state school versus the Ivies is a, is a huge thing of animosity. It just is like broaden the yeah. spectrum of the sport. And how, how does how do the Ivy League schools do with Washington Cal dominating? And then you guys go over there, and at least you, you outdid Holy Cross in Philadelphia last yeah. week. How were, how were you looked upon as like, with Oregon State? What's this team? Yeah, what, what are these guys doing here? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it, I think there's respect all around that, like, they know that we are going to be tough. You know, even in the races, no matter where we're at, we're going to come at you. And um, you never know who's going to be, uh, get a good group of guys that are going to be fast anyway. Like some of these, you've mentioned Holy Cross. It's like they, they've got some good baseball, some good basketball, uh, but their rowing team is also top notch. So it's like um, you could get, if you get a good group of guys, you can, anybody can win, so to speak. And so, yeah, we went out to Philly this past weekend and raced Cornell, Penn, and Holy Cross. And it's uh, it, the league is hard. Like the, going out east is very hard for for us to to like. This is the level, guys. This is where we got to go, and it's always a fun learning experience when we do that. Gabe Winkler with us for a few more minutes. Congratulations though, on the tremendous competition, as John men- mentioned, uh, beating Holy Cross in that trip. You're ranked number 19, and with new rankings coming out uh, tomorrow, you may even move up a little bit based on what you just did. Tell us about your yeah. team, Gabe. Now, a little bit about the composition of the team, and did you have anybody on the squad that's rode before? Are you in that that same mode of getting young men who who, who are athletic and, and want to try it out? Where is your experiential yeah. level? So we we definitely recruit guys. You know, yeah. like the the name of the game is to get as good of athletes as you can but i do there are solid athletes walking around the campus that have never rode before so it's kind of like as of now i'd say 
about uh, two-thirds of guys have have experience before they come to Oregon State, and then a third are just guys that are built for the sport that have never been introduced to it yet. And kind of our job as we walk around campus is is to um, – uh, see big, strong, tall guys, maybe they're basketball guys, maybe they're football guys, and to convince them to come down to try out. And we usually have, I don't know, 35, 40 guys come Mm. down to try out, and we usually take, say, 10 of them. And so that's how we compose the team. Like, we're we're recruiting every day, and this is a a Scott Ruick term, which I, I think about all the time. Like, recruiting is like shaving, if you don't do it every day, you look like a bum. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, that, I, and not... I think about that all the time, meaning you got to be, you got to be getting the right people here. And if you, um, if you're not doing that, somebody else is, and you, it's all kind of selling the place, yeah. selling the school, selling the team, honestly, that, and selling the opportunity, which I've talked about Cal and Washington, where they're that they're the, they're best they're great they're really good they're they're ranked number one number three like, mm-hmm. they're great that's awesome go do that but they if they tell a guy that's that's saying like maybe not the best top notch international recruit kid you're gonna row and you're gonna win the national championship they're kind of that's kind of not really the full truth because if you come here we're gonna develop you we're gonna get you to those races that you want to do. And that's the guys that we really are looking for that want the opportunities to race at the national championship, to race at the Pac 12s, to go out east and do these things that we do. Mm-hmm. And it, like, th- so the group as a whole, I, I don't know. It's, I think these guys are really fun to be with. It, it, makes, it makes coaching easy when you get guys that just want to train and they want to do more. There's a lot of times. No joke that I have to say, we got to do less. Like slow down. Like men, don't overdo it. Like you got to, we got a big race this weekend. Like, like let's taper back for a second. And like these guys are just really motivated and self motivated, and that's kind of like one of our big priorities when we are looking for guys to come here. That hey, you don't need as much direction as you know, say, and somebody else might. That this is, but we will open up the doors. We will give you the machines. We will get you the best equipment. We'll get the opportunities. So we're, if you want to go to the best level, this is open for you to do that. Uh, I, we, we, just, we have to move on soon, but I, I have so many questions. Next time we get you on, I want you to tell me why, if I have an incredible leaping ability at 5'8", why I can't be a rower. And you did tell me I once before. I keep telling you, John, like, <laughs> yeah. I keep saying, like, you should calm down and get in the boat. Like, it's the, it's the, it's one of those, like, it's not the, it's the, it's the fight in the dog. You know, <laughs> if you are tough, if you can jump, if you can dunk a bat, if you can, like, yeah. do all these kind of big things and run really fast, like, you could beat a guy that's a little bit bigger than you. Thank you. Thank you. being hard-nosed. <laughs> and, you know? Like, I, I think, I think, what is your sporting background? Uh, well, I'm 58 now, but I played football <laughs> and, and basketball. But I had great leaping ability. I, I don't you remember. You touch what, the rim, I right? I could touch the rim at 5'8". That's pretty good. And built oh, like a linebacker, so I had to lift right. a lot of weight. That's, that's better than some guys at 6'3". You know, like, <laughs> uh, like, if you can do that, you can probably beat some bigger guys. It so, must be a leverage sport, all, there's though. There's a little bit of the 
grit, you know, the yeah. like little chip on your shoulder mm-hmm. too. So if you're like, mm-hmm. oh man, he thinks he's going to win because um, he's bigger. He's got another thing. Yeah. And last thing for you real quick is boys in the boat required reading for your guys. Yes. Like it is one of those that everybody mentions and everybody knows the story and it's a great story, but it is kind of a good kind of like reminder that you can win at the highest level. Spoiler alert. Like you can win at the highest, <laughs> highest level, uh, without any experience, yeah. you know, like you could still do that today. You can walk into Oregon state without any experience at all. And you could all, all of our Olympians, Olympic gold medalists, a couple of them and Olympic bronze medalists, like they have, they, all of our Olympians have never, never had experience of rowing before they got to Oregon wow. state. Yeah. And that's awesome. That's amazing. And, and yes, like read that book. And I think, I think they're making a movie about it. Yes, now. they are. No, like, we've, we, yeah, we've talked about that. Funded by uh, George Clooney, I believe. Yes. And they, yes. It should come out within a year or two. It's, yep. it's going to be exciting. Hey, final thing, and, and thanks for your time, Gabe. Coach Gabe Winkler with us. Kate Maxim will join us tomorrow. We've got Andy Peterson just around the corner from LB. Next weekend, the Pac-12 championship, second year in a row, women's and men's on Dexter Lake. In talking about the history of the sport, the great venues in the East and so on, where, where does Dexter Lake stack up as a venue, Coach? What do you think of it? It's the best. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, no, it's, it's the reason why, honestly, the coach vote, coaches voted on it, not just because I'm biased, is that it's fair, is that there's no current, there's no, like, wind that if there's wind it's going to be fair for everybody it's not like favored there's no favored lane so the lanes usually go from one to six and you have a six vote final you can win in lane six you can win in lane one win in any lane so the backdrop of it too with the rolling hills and you got a covered bridge right at the starting line it's as picturesque as you can get it the Last 500 meters blows right in front of the crowd. Um, it's a great venue. And all, all coaches really want is it fair. And the reason why, like, we have raced down at uh, Lake Natoma down in uh, Sacramento. It's a great venue, too. It's beautiful. But if there's a win there, it kind of favors other lanes. It's kind of like a side wind. And it, there is a slight current also. It is part of the Gold River. So, there is a little bit of current that gets in there, and that makes it a little bit not fair. And that's why the coaches all voted to move it up to Dexter, and it went so well last year that they were like, let's do it again. I hope mm-hmm. it goes again. I hope we establish this as you know, precedent for the years to come. That is great to hear. Gabe, congratulations on everything. The 65000 on Damn Proud Day, continuing to raise that bar every year. And for everything else, thanks for making time for us. We always appreciate it, Coach. Thanks, Mike. Go Beavs. Thank you. Uh, Gabe Winkler, our guest. Andy Peterson joins us next. A lot of things to talk to a baseball fundamentalist about. (laughs) The fundamental things apply. Bunting, running, defending, touching all the bases. You know, that's one of the things. I I will forever cherish now the pride of St. Louis. Corny, Cornball movie, Richard Crenna is Daffy Dean, Dan Daly is Dizzy Dean, yet I love it. Joanne Drew is Dizzy's one. Chet Huntley, one of the broadcasters of the Huntley Brinkley, Chet Huntley doing baseball play-by-play in that film. Dizzy's final speech on the air, he says to the kids, 
and everybody listening because the, the school board's demanding that he be taken off the broadcast because he fractures the King's English and uses terms like he slut into third and didn't get back to all them respectable bases or whatever it is, Dizzy in his cornball style. And uh, he comes on the air and gives a speech and he says, now, nah, you know, I wish I could have had an education like you kids are getting, but they got, I got to take you off the air because I ain't learning you English very well. And they, they tell me that I, and I don't want to hurt you kids. It's a beautiful, I, I cry when I think about it. I've cried every time I've seen Dizzy give that speech. On the, in the movie, The Pride of St. Louis, and I tear up even now thinking about it. Hmm. He's, but at the end, he says, and kids, as I, this is Dizzy Dean signing off, saying to, saying to all of you, play hard, respect everyone, play the game, and don't forget to touch all the bases. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> a fundamental thing applies. Well, there's a line for the next Joe B. Open. <laughs> don't forget. Hey, that's true. But watch that. Go watch The Pride of St. Louis. Order it up on your, you know, order it however you order it. I've never seen it. It's It's got a sweetness to it. I, I like I it a lot. Watch it I like The Pride of St. Louis. Game. All those biopics from the 50s or 40s. Oh, yeah. They're corny as can be, but they're sweet. No, the, the Lou Gehrig story oh, was my gosh, amazing. It's powerful. That's the best. Yeah, That's the that best baseball the best. biopic. But The Pride of St. Don't forget to touch all the bases. Ooh, ooh. 1952, That's amazing. and it applies a little bit now as we come back with Petey on Fundamentals on 1240 Joe Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Parker. We recently had the need to replace some major appliances, and I'm delighted to report that we called Brandon and his team at Kellenberger Appliance in Lebanon. We couldn't be happier with our experience. They answered all of our questions, put us in the best deal, and promptly delivered and installed a new washer and dryer. When you are in need of an appliance, I strongly encourage you to call Kellenberger Appliance. Visit Kellenbergers.com or stop by Kellenberger Appliance at 21 North Main Street in Lebanon. A big thank you from the Parkers to Kellenberger Appliance. Wedding time means framing time. All those special pictures. Steve at the Frame Shop can even help you put together a collage. And while Al is stepping back, he'll still be on site. And Steve, with his 44 years of experience, will be gradually taken over. You won't even notice the difference. Other than Steve might be at the counter more often. They'll still help you find that perfect mat and frame to complement your pictures and decor. And you'll still find a great selection of ready-made frames, prints, and art supplies. The Frame House on West First in historic downtown Albany. What happens when you're voted the best new car dealership and the best used car dealership in the Mid-Willamette Valley? Do you gloat about it? Or do you just simply say the complete redesigned CRV, HRV, Civic, Pilot, and Accords are now at Power Honda in Albany off of San Diem Highway for you to take a test drive? I think you do both. And for more information, go to mypowerhonda.com. That's mypowerhonda.com. Now's the time to get a great deal on a Kubota BX23S compact tractor on display now at Lindbetten Tractor in Tangent. The BX23S compact tractor is rated number one in durability and owner experience and with performance matched attachments. It's easy to operate too. You could get a Kubota BX23S compact tractor for as low as $0 down and 0% APR for up to 60 months now through June 30th. See Lindbetten Tractor or go to KubotaUSA.com for a full disclaimer. Swing a drive, deep to straightaway center field. Bellinger looking up and goodbye baseball. A 
Upper deck center field. The Mariners' three-city road trip starts to come to a close tonight. It's game one of a three-game series. It's the Mariners and the Oakland Athletics. Hope you can join us on the radio today. I'm Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill. 640 first pitch on your Mariner station. Pre-game starts at 530 on Comedy 990. Locally owned and operated Lifetime Gutters does more than just new gutter installations with guaranteed quality craftsmanship at competitive prices backed by a lifetime warranty. Lifetime Gutters can also protect and extend the life of your roof with regular moss treatments and maintenance. Does your home, gutters, and sidewalks need a spring cleaning? Lifetime Gutters can handle that too. Serving residential and commercial properties in the Mid-Valley, call Lifetime Gutters today to schedule your no-cost estimate online at lifetime-gutters.com. The Joe Beaver Show continues. I got uh, chided by our next guest when I one day said, you know, I'm kind of coming around to this not bunting thing. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. no, no. Remember, no. we had the conversation. I know, I know. And I said, well... You know, and I was talking. <laughs> there was a scenario in, on Sunday that came up on whether or not you bunt or swing yeah, away. I know, and Andy Peterson, a great coach at LB, won the NWAC last year, the first time the Roadrunners had accomplished that since 1991, heading down the stretch of the regular season, postseason just around the corner, a big day coming up Saturday at uh, what is now from ever after Saturday going to be known as Dick McLean Field. A lot to talk about with Andy, but bunting, the fundamentals of the game, the short game. I said there was a situation the other day, first and second, nobody out. Let Mikey hit. Let Mikey Kane swing away, and he <laughs> bunted. It's one of the few times I've ever disagreed with anything, Mitch or Case or anybody. But I thought, okay, this is a guy that's jacked three home runs this weekend, and I'm kind of getting into this. Maybe you don't give up a power bat in that situation. And yet the Beavs were trying to build on a lead. They had Mikey bunt. He got the bunt down. Runners move up. Now, it didn't work out. And that's not to say the bunt was the wrong play, but it was one of those rare moments where I disagreed and thought I'd rather let the guy swing here. That was my feeling mm-hmm. just as a, as a fan or whatever else. Boy, that's changed. And I get a line, I get a text from Petey, Mike. <laughs> oh, so here he is, the head coach <laughs> that who I let down so much by saying, eh, I'm not so sure about bunting as much these days. Andy got on me for it. Andy Peterson joins us. Coach, good afternoon. How are you? I know you meant it. You said it in fun, but you meant it. You still believe in the short game, it sounds like. How dare you guys talk to me about something? Unbelievable. <laughs> What's up, John, Mike? Hey, great to have you on. Let's start right there, though. Let's start there, since, since we're talking about bunting. You, you were still, in my view, the best bunter I've seen come through Oregon State in 25 years. Quanti and even Bazan at times, and they can make give you a run for your money, but you got bunts down got hits with bunts, sacrifice bunts, beautifully done, completely reliable when you were asked to. So you've always been good at it. How do you use it as a coach now, and what do you think about the way the game's evolved? Have you changed it all in how you use it? You know, I, I get grief from any old player of uh, ask how the team's doing, and so do you guys bunt 30 times a game? And, you know, <laughs> we, uh, we, really, we really don't. Um, I think this year has been a little different. I think beginning of the year, we played up in Washington, and the boys swung it very well. And was, all right, we got a hitting team this year. And we came back to Oregon, and winds been blowing in, and it's been rainy and hailey and snowy and all that kind of stuff. And ball's not quite flying, so we've actually had to use it more than I thought we were going to. Mm-hmm. And are, do you practice it? You don't just say, hey, hey, I want you to butt. I've read stories about guys – 
getting to the major leagues, and a major league manager will say, we'll put the bunt sign on, and the player had never bunted before. That's Like in the minor league system or whatever, <laughs> they'd never bunted, and they look like it. So it's something you got to still work on, I assume, in your practices. Absolutely. All right. It's an everyday thing. Um, I mean, more than anything, even when they're working on it, it's just hand-eye coordination. It's tracking the baseball. It's, you know, whether it's a kid that's hitting in a three-hole and is never going to bunt for us uh, once this year. I think even still practicing it. And like I said, tracking baseballs and slowing it down, seeing the spin of the ball, that kind of stuff. I think everything goes into it. Are you, are you the type of coach where a, if a player, if you, you ask for a bunt and they try and they pop out, duh, don't go to the, don't go to the dugout. I, any Pat Casey player who would pop one out, I just thought, oh, that is the worst walk of shame. Oh, no, I'm, I'm usually very uh, happy about it. I'm real excited. And, you know, yeah, don't get mad at the kids at all. And, no, never. Yeah, right, never. right. I get it. Andy Peterson joining us. But, Andy, I guess I, I will come back to a little bit about the evolution of the game and even – even, you know, an old-timer like myself occasionally thinking, eh, maybe don't butt here, whereas I was always, yeah, you got to butt, you got to move the runner up. As you're thinking, you talked about the current circumstances of your team this year, wind blowing in, weather, et cetera, but just in general, has your thinking at all changed on the place of the bunt in the game? The place of the, no, no, God, no. I, I okay. still think if it's a first and third situation and you have a kid that's not going to run the ball out of the yard, I think a, uh, a push front at the first baseman can field to score a run um, is huge. You know, I, um, I'd say we have a couple turf fields in our league, a couple grass fields where you can, the ball really sit and settle and get into a tough spot. A lot of the turf fields, the ball's going to roll a little bit further, kind of a thing. Um, it's just it's different to each guy. It's, you know, every guy's different. It depends how they've been swinging it. Have they been good lately? Are they seen the ball well today? Right. Or do we, you know, put a bunt down, get a guy on second, score a run? Might be two outs now and have another guy get a chance that's been swinging well to, you know, go go put up an RBI for us kind of a thing. But no, it, it changes guy to guy. Yeah, guy to guy, game to game, situation to situation, matchup yep. to matchup. So there's no absolutes in that sense. First and second, yep. nobody out. That all, it's not like automatic to bunt or not to bunt. It all depends on the situation. Do you look, the reason I bring it up is the quote unquote analytics, big picture stuff say things like this. You score, the, the, you score, baseball teams score more often by not bunting first and second, nobody out, than bunting the runners up. So that there's a higher percentage chance of letting the next guy up swing away. So do that mo- most of the time. Is that too simplified? It's, no, it's uh, and like I said, it's I think it's guy to guy. It's you know, is the next guy in the lineup and swinging it well? You know, if that guy bunts and gives up an out, I mean, with our pitching staff and defensively, if a mm-hmm. team wants to bunt, we will take it. We will take that free out, and yeah. you know, uh, we'll, we'll take outs when we can. And if it's second and third and one out, now it's, you know, how do we minimize? If that one guy scores, that's fine. I don't want right. both guys scoring. You know, you get pitchers that uh kind of squeeze themselves and get in the spot first and second, nobody out, try to do too much. And, mm-hmm. you know, so at least with our pitching staff, you know, the last half of the year, it's been, you know, how do we minimize? You know, you screwed up, you gave up a single, and you walked the guy. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we, uh, you know, how, how do we make this not snowball and be a full run inning? You know, if they want to give us a free out, oh, we'll take it out right now. Right. Which is funny on the other side, on the offensive side. And, you know, I'm thinking, man, we got second and third with, you know, these two guys coming up. I, I like our odds to score a couple runs here. Mm-hmm. You know? 
Interesting. Andy Peterson joining us. Andy, before we get to some situational baseball that you saw in person when you drove over and caught the end of the Sunday game, I want to get your thoughts about decisions that coaches, Chip, Mitch, everybody have to make. And some work out and some don't, and that's baseball. Give us a sense of where you are with your club this year, coming back, defending the NWAC championship. It felt like it seemed like reading about the scores, box scores, maybe a little bit of a slower start, but you feel like you're you're in a pretty good place right now, and what's what's next for you? Yep, I guess from the weekend, first of all, uh, I mean, Forrester getting Bazana locked in front of him twice. Oh, right, right. Coming through twice. Um, my goodness, that's, uh, you, know, you don't see that very often. <laughs> uh, We're going to get to that. Uh, I want to get to that. That was a pretty gritty, uh, yeah. pretty gritty stuff out of Forrester. I want to get to that. Hey. I mean, even if I was their coach, he ain't going to do it again, you know, and obviously he wouldn't do it again. But uh, on our side of things, yeah. yeah, definitely a slower start. A lot of younger guys this year I think we're playing our best baseball right now. Um, these last couple of weeks, I've, I've, you know, I've, I feel like they've been putting it all on the table. Pitchers have been pretty dominant. Hitters aren't striking out, and we're putting balls in play, running the bases well, playing good defense. So I think you know, late in the year, we have four games left, and I think we're I think we're playing our best baseball right now. I won't tell them that, but you know, I, uh, <laughs> I think we're playing our best baseball right now. <laughs> You've got a young man coming over. Is that correct? We, you've sent some great players from the from LB to Oregon State who've done remarkable things. Who's next in that sense, at least based on how things are going right now, uh, Andy? Yep, we got uh, Chase Reynolds coming in. He's a West Albany kid, so a local kid. He's been a beat fan his whole life, which makes it even cooler for Chase. Um, big old boy, throws it pretty hard. Got to, uh, learned actually learned his... Uh, Split change from Rhett last year, and that was a sophomore. And uh, Chase is a freshman. Those two were uh, very good buddies, and they played catch together every day last year. And you know, appreciate appreciate Rhett for what he uh, what he did for Chase. But uh, Chase, Chase is going to be a fun one to watch. You know, like I said, local kid, mm-hmm. competitor, great family, all that kind of stuff. He's uh, he's he's going to be a good one. Speaking of Rhett, I've been impressed with him the last two outings, and you you told us that you that he just the way he competed, the way he threw, bore in on hitters, that you that he helped you win the NWAC. He was a huge part of it last year. Tell us what you've seen from Rhett of late, and, and is it, it looked like too some things are coming together for him with the Beavers here of late. Oh, it's fun to watch. It is so cool to see him watch. Same thing with Rhett. Rhett grew up a Beavs fan, and. You know, went to games all the time as a little kid and getting to see guys like that go on and do it's pretty amazing. I've, I've been impressed with, you know, I mean, I watch every game, but uh, the way Rhett throws the ball inside has been impressive. You know, he's never had a fear to throw in. If he hits the guy, so what? But he's been getting a lot of those uh, kind of check swing foul balls or uh, weak ground balls of pounding the ball in. And it's, it's so fun to see him, how calm he is on the mound. He, Always looks composed, like it's not a big deal, and I know inside it's a big deal to him. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Rhett, and his uh, kid, kid deserves it. Big time. Andy Peterson with us for a few more minutes. Now to the situation. It, first of all, is it true? Somebody told me in the dugout afterwards that you were compelled to drive over, listening, watching, whatever. You weren't there at the start of the game Sunday, but you got yourself there for the last few innings. Is that accurate? Yep. Yep, I had a recruit in town and had to miss the first uh, four, and I got to see Rhett's last at-bat that he threw. 
Okay. Um, so I also, uh, on the way there, uh, heard about the box. So I had to talk to Red about the box and mm-hmm. how dare you. And, <laughs> you know, he, he still doesn't think he boxed, which, you know, I think I believe him, I guess. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't see much of an argument <laughs> no, put up it from, was the, quiet. from the dugout, Rich or Mitch. Maybe they, they were saying something. Do you know, I, I couldn't see on what, what constituted the box. What did Rhett tell you? Uh, he has like his foot pump thing comes set and kind of pumps his foot a couple times and then comes set. From what I've heard from him, that uh, he wasn't he was doing that the whole game. The umpires didn't think he was doing that the whole game. Uh-huh. According to Red, he's been doing that for about eight years. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had yeah. to explain to him that I've never boxed, so right. you know I don't know how it feels <laughs> right now. Uh, I got you. <laughs> That is, that is interesting, isn't it? That just somewhere out of the blue, suddenly, oh, my gosh, that's a balk, whereas that's how – and in that sense, I guess, Andy, umpires <laughs> can't know everybody's personal style if they see something that looks yeah, like course. a balk. But that wasn't the first time he'd pitched out of the stretch. He, he, so you're saying he didn't – he's told you he didn't do anything different than he had at any other time with runners on. I don't know who to believe. I, I, okay. I think I have to believe umpires more than the kid, but uh, yeah. you know, I guess I trust Rhett. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, who, who, who knows? Who knows? I, I thought he threw well. Excited about it. Obviously, he's got the win, so that, uh, that box didn't end up mattering. Just made a, made a good game for us fans. Now. Speaking of a good game, Andy, I know you've seen a lot in baseball. You've coached teams that have probably been through games maybe similar to that, but what about those last two innings of that ball game? Andy, just in terms of I mean, what the Beavers did, what Arizona did, what the Beavers did again, that was pretty remarkable, wasn't it? Oh, it was perfect. It was, uh, Steve Crothers uh, was sitting with Steve and Diane, and Steve left to uh, go watch his grandson play. As soon as he left, we uh, go and uh, have a big inning there. <laughs> um, obviously going up, and, you know, we get Brownie in, and I know that wasn't Brownie's best day. He'll tell you the same thing, but. Uh, you know, pretty cool to see them bounce back and just put that bat and that bat together to, you know, get guys on base. And obviously, after the walk of Vizana, you could see the crowd. The uh, crowd is pretty invested after they walked Vizana there uh, to get the Forster. And I think everybody uh, kind of expected Garrett to do it. It's obviously that doesn't happen very often, but uh, that 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 was just that was cool baseball there. That, that was last, you know, yeah. what was it uh, eleven runs in the last inning and a half? Yes. Yes, uh, I mean, incredible. That's what people want to see. <laughs> no, it was great. But Andy, you mentioned earlier Forrester, what he did after the back-to-back intentional walks to Travis Pizana. Darwin was on with us yesterday and said he understood it the first time and even said to Mitch, "That's the right move." The second time around, after the guy beat you with a three-run double, it's still though. Chip, in a sense, was playing a hunch or percentages match up right on right. How did you feel about both walks from your standpoint as a coach? I went, I went a little more excited um, for Garrett uh, as soon as they walked him. I was, you know, my first thought was, yes, he's going to do it again. And then I thought about it on the drive home of, uh, like, you know, to do that twice in those big of situations, that's pretty special from Garrett. That's, uh, yeah. that, I mean, you can't expect that from, from any kid at all. Um, you know, obviously, Bazan is a, uh, uh, you know, obviously he's a freak of nature and he's a special athlete and he's, you know, uh, everything about it, which, you know, you can say, yes, absolutely walk, walk Trav, you know, an easy choice left on right kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now, now you got to deal with Garrett and Garrett's uh, one of the Beaver greats. And, you know, obviously what he's doing this year and uh, he'll play ball for a long time. And, you know, he's going to be a fun one to root for. 
I'm looking forward to visiting with Garrett later. We'll have it on the pregame show with our pregame getting underway at 445 uh, here locally, 5 o'clock on the network, and a conversation ahead of the Beavers in Oregon tonight. I want to get a thought here in a minute, Andy, about what you're – what you've, what you've got going, how special it is come Saturday, and we're going to continue to pay tribute to a great man. Harold was very eloquent in that respect with respect to Dick McLean. But the final thing on the, the game-ending hit by Forrester, we've, we've acknowledged it. It's not as though it's a secret. We, we kind of saw and heard and talked among ourselves about the end and the fundamental thing that applies in every game, as Dizzy Dean said, you got to touch all the bases on your way around. <laughs> Were you a little nervous for a moment? Uh-oh, because Travis, bless his heart, as Darwin said, maybe the sheer number of reps in the game of baseball when he grew up playing different sports, a cricket player, you know what I mean? Maybe that fundamental thing did he didn't fully process in the moment. From a coaching standpoint, it's already been addressed and it'll never happen again. What were your thoughts in those moments? Yeah, so yeah, I had a perfect line from second base to where the right fielder fielded the ball. Uh, you know, Travis got a little close, took off running, and you know, and met up with Garrett and mm-hmm. all that. And I was started to high five Diane and the people around me. And I was kind of like, "Oh, everybody, wait! I think they want to review." Um, I actually heard from Brad Brown yesterday that they changed the rule a couple years ago to where only the uh, the guy at third that's scoring and the hitter needs to touch the advanced base. And apparently that rule was put in when Arizona's head coach was coaching um, in the bigs. Uh, uh, apparently that's a that's like a new rule, which I, I actually did not know about. I thought for sure that you know, we're going to extra if I get to watch more baseball kind of a thing. Um, but apparently he doesn't have to from what I've heard. Oh, my gosh. And uh, Andy, here today gone tomorrow but here today on <laughs> tuesday may 2nd at 12:49 p.m you've just added a new layer to the conversation dave from tumwater was asking when and when does a run score and count and preclude needing to touch the base ahead of you i still thought you needed to touch the base ahead of you you're telling me that that van raphorst in explaining to chip said no the new rule is this i didn't know that andy did you know that okay, I, I i i found that out yesterday after it Nope, I did not know that at all. It, I mean, I don't see how it's any different from a second baseman fueling the ball and getting the guy out of second. You know, um, so I was actually very curious about that one, but makes you feel a little bit better about things. Well, yeah. no, I I, com- I feel utterly I, I feel fine anyway. I mean, that's a base hit to win yeah. the game, <laughs> Travis. May, but you're t- okay. Okay, this is. I've got to go get clarification now today. Now, Brad Brown, I love Brad and I respect him completely. If he's telling you that. It's probably true, but I need to find out for sure. You're saying that they change, quote, they, whoever they, the powers that be changed the rule so that the Fred Merkel boner of 1908 when he didn't touch second and it cost yep. the Giants the pennant yep. doesn't apply anymore, apparently, at least in, in, in the college In the last few years, apparently that's been changed. Andy. I guess. And uh, so I, I don't know. I'm, I am I'm glad. Not, I'm not a big rules guy. Okay. I don't, you know, I don't follow it too much kind of a thing, but... Uh, I guess at least it made me feel a little bit better about things. But the thing, though, Andy, yeah, is yeah. about this is what's amazing is that we've discussed it 
over and over again. We're just casually, and then you just drop. You just that. drop that. You in. just drop something that changes the direction of everything. <laughs> I, I was we've been worried about. you guys. Uh, yeah. Okay. Hey, final thing, and that is Saturday, and, and we're going to continue to seek this story out <laughs> on the touching base or whatever. But uh, Saturday, Coach, how excited are you for Dick, for the program, the community, and all the people that Dick McLean has touched to have the field named in his honor at your ball your ballpark Saturday? Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Um, there's supposed to be a lot of people. We're supposed to have somewhere close to 100, uh, 100 old-timers that played for Dick or have been around Dick to come out. We're going to have a barbecue, and uh, we just got a new uh, truss on top of our scoreboard. That will be in Dick McLean Field. It looks great. Um, so we're going to do an honor of Dick. And it's actually been pretty cool the last few years. Our athletic director, uh, Mark, started uh, kind of a Hall of Fame deal for Lynn Benson. And, uh, you know, we've had six or seven people from all sports uh, each year are getting inducted and having some, a lot of these people come back, which is cool, and getting to hear them talk about Dick and how, you know, how impactful he was and starting all the sports programs and mm-hmm. being the athletic director and coaching baseball and women's sports. And, you know, it sounds like he kind of did everything. And I have yet to hear a single uh, – single bad thing about Dick. Everyone seems to rally around him, and, you know, he seems to have uh, essentially put Lynn Benton on the map, athletically-wise, and, um, you know, like I said, it's really cool when you see a lot of these people come back and what they have to say about Dick and how they talk about him and how they help, you know, he helped them specifically and and all of that. It's been, it's been great. I've got to interact with Dick a few times in the last few years here, and he was at our championships last year, and you know, got a little emotional uh, our last game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or after we won it, which was which was pretty cool. So I mean, he's he's still invested. He, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that's not in it for himself. He's in it for everybody else around him and community and all that. And it's it's been it's it's, it's going to be fun on Saturday. It's going to be fun to see everybody. The informers cooking and you know, correct all that. Yeah, uh, there'll, there'll be a bunch of people out and you know, his family and all that kind of stuff out supporting. I'm, I'm excited to get to chat with all these people. That's excellent, Andy. And the, the informal barbecue, Carruthers, it's all good. Starts at 11 a.m., the yeah. dedication ceremony at noon, and then your uh, doubleheader with Swock begins. At, is it a double on Saturday beginning at 1 o'clock or yep. a single? Oh, double. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep, double, double at 1. Okay. Hey, Andy, thanks for everything. Uh, congratulations on the on the great the, the run you're on. Keep it going. Thanks for taking time for us. We always appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. I was good hearing from you. Thank you. Andy Peterson, our guest on 1240. How about that that he dropped in there? And he didn't know the rule either. Yeah. That's interesting. I feel good about it. He said, I feel better about everyone. I feel better, too. I feel better about it. I didn't know. Nobody knew. And Dave didn't know. Brooks didn't know. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Nobody shared that with me. Did the run come in from third? Yeah, Macias had scored okay, before all that. Over. I know, but it, 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 it wasn't. Ask Fred Merkel about that from 1908. <laughs> we'll take a break on 1240 Joe Radio. Summer with all of its events and parties is on the way. Call Forks and Corks today and make your reservation. Large or small, Forks and Corks Catering will make your event spectacular. From sit-down dinners to buffets or delicious bites, they'll work with you to choose a menu based on taste and budget. Forks and Corks will ensure an enjoyable experience for you and your guests. A spectacular symphony of sensory delight. View their menu and list of venues online. Forks and Corks Catering, events designed to delight. Catering to the Willamette Valley since 2011. 
At Albin's Plumbing, we're boring. Hi, I'm Katie Albin, and I want everyone to know that at Albin's Plumbing, we're boring. Directional boring, to be exact. So if you need to run a pipe underground, under a driveway, or under a sidewalk, and you don't want to destroy your yard in the process, the boring people at Albin's Plumbing can help you with your directional boring. Just give us a call. At Albin's Plumbing, plumbing's all we do. Call 754-8282, Albin's Plumbing. Locally owned and operated Lifetime Gutters does more than just new gutter installations with guaranteed quality craftsmanship at competitive prices backed by a lifetime warranty. Lifetime Gutters can also protect and extend the life of your roof with regular moss treatments and maintenance. Does your home, gutters, and sidewalks need a spring cleaning? Lifetime Gutters can handle that too. Serving residential and commercial properties in the Mid-Valley, call Lifetime Gutters today to schedule your no-cost estimate online at lifetime-gutters.com. Leading off this inning for your tax and wealth management team is David Mendenhall. Betting second, Bill Heck. And betting third, Robert Berry. It's always important to have a talented lineup. The same is true if you need some advice on personal or business tax planning or just some help with financial strategy. With over 40 years in business, tax and wealth management has the experience you need to hit that home run. Call or stop by tax and wealth management in Corvallis, your hometown tax team, and start your journey on the road to success. Built upon a solid foundation of cast iron and steel, the Kubota L2501 tractor is part of a tractor lineup rated number one in durability and owner experience. And it's on display now at Lynn Benton Tractor in Tangent. The L2501 tractor features a Kubota diesel engine and is easy to operate. See Lynn Benton Tractor today. Go to KubotaUSA.com for a full disclaimer. Lynn Benton Tractor, we're still doing business the American way. If you're 19 or older with yeah, certain worry underlying about medical into the double such play. as asthma or diabetes, you can get back. There we go. Yeah. No, you worry about was, double play ball. It was a scenario that, you know, TJ and I are sitting next to each other. In the what road. did you say? To bunt or not to bunt? That well, yeah, yeah. And, and, and because of we've had this, this discussion quite a bit of late, Tanner Smith, eighth inning. First and first second, and nobody second, out. Nobody out. What do you do? He unted. He bunted. Yes. So then we say, and I say unto him. Okay, now you've and remember, I'm I'm back and forth on this. When I was right. first kind of learning the nuances, I thought, well, why would you want to waste an out? Right, and then right. I came all the way around to, oh, I get it, get him on, get him over, get him in. I get it. So now that it's kind of a discussion amongst old timers versus new timers, <laughs> what did TJ say? Which side of it? Uh, you know, at the time we were both kind of saying that. Eh, it depends on who's at bat, depends on who's on deck, who's on deck, all of that. Anyway, Dernetti struck out, Bazana intentionally walked, then forced or cleared the bases right. for the 8 7 lead. Right. But it did move the two guys over into scoring position. All you needed was a single to uh, to get, was it the, uh, uh, no, a really good single to get the running in from second that would have tied the game? I can't remember. Well, and that's it. Tanner got a single later to tie the game yeah. with the two run single in yeah. the bottom of the night to get you. Tied before Forrester's game winner, but it's and a I good... think I think his first attempt popped up, but back to the net. Tanner's yes on that on that before scenario. he got the bunt down yes. I, I so many things happened in that those last one and a half innings were incredible. Eleven runs. In fact, I remember it very well now because I thought, oh, if you're going to do that, you cannot pop oh, out. Oh no, I know, I know, and. It's it, it, the one thing that 
for me in my mind in that moment that I remember thinking, I didn't say it so much, and I, I'll say it now only because, I mean, he, this young man is one of my favorite players in the program and on the team, and I love him, and he's a scrappy, competitive son of a gun. That's Kyle Dernetti. But part of what might militate against bunting in that situation is it's you're bunting two runners up, your nine-hole hitters on deck, who it, he's he's had a lot of clutch hits and he's been swinging the bat well. So I think that's part of it. They trusted Kyle to uh, to get a run home there. To, yeah. With a with a maybe they they had tried to had hit him bunt too. I believe now that was the ninth inning. Remember. They tried to yeah the ninth inning he tried to bunt anyway. It everything depends on the situation. And they're worried about a double play ball from Tanner. Yeah, and then TJ the inning, pointed that out, and that it was the number nine hole hitter and on deck, and on Tanner deck. was in the eighth. That's what makes the you know Tony Larusa said that what's that's what makes managing a baseball game every day so replete and full of of so many decisions like that. And we got a bunch more of them coming. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you tonight at 445. K-E-J-O Corvallis. And translator. K-229-D-I Corvallis. The home of the Beavers. 1240 Joe Radio.